Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. So he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant, and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal house of Edom. For when David was in Edom, and Joab the commander of the army went up to bury the slain, he struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel remained there six months until he had cut off every male in Edom. But Hadad fled to Egypt together with certain Edomites of his father's servants, Hadad still being a little child. And they set out from Midian and came to Paran, and took men with them from Paran, and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, and assigned him an allowance of food, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him in marriage the sister of his own wife, the sister of Taphanes, the queen. And the sister of Taphanes bore him Ganubath, his son, whom Taphanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Ganubath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. 
But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to my own country. But Pharaoh said to him, What have you lacked with me, that you are now seeking to go to your own country? And he said to him, Only let me depart. God also raised up an adversary to him in Rezin, the son of Eliada, who had fled from the master Hadadezer, king of Zobah. And he gathered men about him and became leader of the marauding band after the killing of David by David. And they went to Damascus and lived there and made him king in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did. And he loathed Israel and reigned over Syria. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word and for this account that we have read. Pray that by your spirit you would give us to understand it and how it is that you would have us to learn by it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 11 of uh, 1 Kings tells us of Solomon's apostasy, his opponents, and Solomon's death. It is the turning point in the book of 1 Kings. And it is a long chapter, and as you just noted, we only read part of it. We'll cover tonight verses 1 through 25, and next week we will look at the part that we were unable to get to tonight. But if there's a, a, a portion of Israel's history that you would love to have been there and to have experienced, it would be this portion prior to the sin of Solomon. Uh, in the abundance of blessings that God had poured out upon his people, fulfilling, fulfilling in a most marvelous and wonderful way all of the promises that he had made to the people of Israel through Moses and through David. Solomon, the son of David, having been given the throne, is blessed exceedingly. Solomon is giving a, given a heart in which he seeks to know the Lord. And he asks the Lord, being invited to do so, he asks the Lord for wisdom. And the Lord gives him wisdom. And the Lord gives him much more beside and so Solomon has experienced great blessing. He has built the temple. And the temple being a magnificent building made mostly of the, the finest, the finest wood, the finest materials, gold. And God has blessed Israel by coming in a visible theophany, the glory cloud coming upon the Ark of the Covenant and uh, manifesting his glory in the temple, dwelling among his people Israel. And Solomon, in, uh, as he represents the people, leads the people in a celebration of God's goodness and of his faithfulness to his promises. 
and leads them in offering sacrifices to God. And the account of the uh, crowds of Israelites who have gathered in Jerusalem that we have already looked at, the account of the celebration of God's goodness to Israel, and the fulfillment of all of these promises is truly wonderful. We are at the apex in Solomon's reign of God's blessing upon his people, Israel. We come to chapter 11, and it is almost a chapter we don't want to read. Just like uh, in, a, in, a, in a book uh, where uh, you, things have been very, very good, and yet uh, you know that in the future chapters, bad things are coming. Chapter 11 describes for us uh, something of uh, Solomon's uh, sin against God. And we're going to look at that, this in under three parts. First, we read in this section of Solomon's turning away from the Lord, verses 1 through 8. Secondly, the Lord's anger against Solomon because of his sin, verses 9 through 13. And then thirdly, the adversaries that the Lord raises up against Solomon because of his sin. So we want to know, first of all, Solomon's great sin. Uh, we read this morning, for those of you who are here this morning for the uh, wor worship service, uh, we recited together uh, that which is re required of the first commandment from the Shorter Catechism, and the first, I'd like to just review that with you if I could. Um, the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And uh, then it says, uh, what is required of the first commandment? And the answer is, the first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God. And to worship and glorify him accordingly. And then the next question is, what is forbidden in the first commandment? The first commandment forbiddeth the denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God as God and our God. And the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to him alone. And then it, the next question says, what is uh, especially taught by these words before me in the first commandment? And I think this is important because Israel lived before the face of God. You and I live before the face of God. And the sin against God in this particular commandment is done before the very face of God. You shall not have any other gods before me. And the words before me in the first commandment teach us that God who sees all things taketh notice of and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God. What we're dealing with in this account of Solomon's sin is the sin of worshiping and leading the people of Israel in the worship of false gods. And Solomon here becomes um, a polytheist. He worships, continues to worship Yahweh. He continues to worship the God of Israel, but he engages in the worship of, e 
of, of idols. And so we see that Solomon's heart turns away from the Lord and he engages in the worship of false gods. The people of Israel had been told, and we read this in um, Exodus 34, verses 13 through 16, that when they go into the land that the Lord would give them, they were to tear down the altars and break the pillars and cut the ashram, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and now notice this, and when you are invited, think of it. Here are these people living among the people of Israel. They have friends who worship idols. And one friend says to another, come join me. So Exodus in the verses that we were just reading. And so when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of this sacrifice and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. And then again in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 through 4, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 4. So what does Solomon do? We read in verses 1 and 2. Now Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. But not only did Solomon cling to these foreign wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines. So the distinction being between princesses and concubines, being concubines being more or less slaves, wives being princesses. Can you imagine? A thousand wives. He must have been a connoisseur of what he considered to be human beauty among all of the peoples over whom he reigned. And these wives worshipped other gods. They did not worship the God of Israel. And Solomon clung to these wives, though the Lord had told him not to do this. 
Not only did he do this, but we read farther down that Solomon, in verse uh, 6, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain of the east of Jerusalem. Now that mountain on the east of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. Just within sight of the temple. And Solomon built worship shrines on the high places of the Mount of Olives for his wives. And Molech especially is mentioned, and you might remember about Molech. He is the one idol which is, it is thought that they sacrificed alive their children to. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. Is it possible? This is the same man. In so many ways, it is not. He is not. And we ask the question, how or why? And the question is answered in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, we read that Solomon had 700 wives and were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. The word heart is mentioned five times in these two verses. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And so you get the idea that the desires and the affections of Solomon's heart changed. Once there was a time when it is said of Solomon that he loved the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord. And here now we read that his, his desires and affections are changed and we ask the question, how is this possible? It is because of a change that took place within the center of his very being. And the author is driving that home by repeating the word heart over and over again. And the word heart is not used in the same way in Hebrew as it is in the Bible, as it is uh, in our modern culture. In our modern culture, we are used to thinking of the heart as being opposed to the head. You know, you, you say to someone, uh, don't think about this with your head, think about it with your heart or your emotions. And we divide the intellect and the emotional life. But in Hebrew, the word heart is the idea of man's center and core. And it includes both the mind and the will and the affections all wrapped up together, but it is the very center and core of our being that God alone sees and knows 
and that is not visible to others. It is, the, it is our willing, loving, thinking uh, center. So uh, you ask the question, how is it that Solomon's, Solomon began to think differently, feel differently, and make decisions as he did? And uh, when Solomon, uh, one, one thing that is telling is that when Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom, he prayed to the Lord and said, Give your servant an understanding mind. I think it's interesting that in the Old Testament, the way of thinking about the understanding and of the mind is uh, reflected in the Hebrew in this way. In Hebrew, it says, Give your servant a hearing heart. So you, you get one impression when you hear the word an understanding mind, but it gives you a little bit of a different impression when you say, give your servant a hearing heart. It is said of the Messiah that he taught as one who had listened to the Lord. The first step is to have a hearing heart. And Solomon, somewhere along the line, stopped hearing God not physically hearing he stopped hearing him in his heart that's one reason why Solomon changed and verse 4 tells us that Solomon's heart was not wholly true to the Lord and again trying to get at the meaning of this in terms of understanding what happened to Solomon's heart and uh, again the, the word that is, that is translated wholly true in the, in the English Standard Version, the Hebrew is, the, the, the underlies it, is a, a wordplay on Solomon's name. So the Hebrew is, an, is a word that is shalem. It's, a, it's an adjective, and it means to be at peace and complete and safe or on friendly terms. And so it is uh, 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 that he, when the translation says that he was not wholly true, it means that he was not shalem. He, he was not Solomon. He was not as he was before. He was not true to the Lord. Neither was he true to himself. He was not at peace or comfortable with God anymore. He was alienated from God. And so that's an alienation from the Lord had set in on him, and he had stopped listening to the Lord he once loved. He walked in the statutes in his youth. It is said that he loved the Lord and walked in the statutes of David, his father. I think of Solomon almost as I think of the covenant child. In today's sense, our children grow up and they walk in the statutes of their parents. And then they leave home and they make decisions for themselves. And Solomon lived under the shadow of the teaching of his father, and he did sincerely love the Lord. And he walked in the statutes of David, his father, we are told. 
and he held fast to the Lord in his youth, but something happened, and he was alienated from the Lord. I just want to think of a few applications of this. Solomon's heart was influenced by his foreign wives. And I just want to think about how we are influenced in the very depths of our being. Do you find that you are influenced by the people that you're with? You are. We're influenced in so many different ways. Solomon, because of his wives, his heart changed. So we ought to pay attention to people who influence us and ask ourselves a question, why? And we ought to ask especially about those who influence us to talk differently, act differently than we would if we were with our family or in church. We ought to ask ourselves the question, why am I being so influenced? Notice how quickly we can turn aside from what we know to be right and not speak up when we know that we should and not correct when we know that we should because we're under the influence of others. At the very time that Solomon was disseminating great wisdom to visitors that came from the nations to Jerusalem, he was doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. At that very time, he was being influenced by his foreign wives. And so the thing, the message that we ought to take from this is our hearts are a battleground and we need to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. Guard your heart or out of it are the issues of life. Why is it that you like the people that you do? Is it because they make you feel good? Is it because they strengthen your standing among other people that you want to like you? Why is it that we are drawn into practices and behaviors and thoughts that we may know are displeasing to God? Be careful about your heart. I think that's a message we can take from this. The author of this, these verses repeats the word heart five times in those two verses. I think he's trying to say to us something happened inside of Solomon's heart. And he's saying to us as well that our hearts are a battlefield, a spiritual battlefield. And of course, I think the message, because this is about the wives that Solomon chose, is something sort of obvious on the face of it. And it is a message to us about the question of who it is that we choose to become, who, who we are attracted to and who it is we may date, or who it is we may marry. The Bible teaches that Christians are to marry only in the Lord. I wonder why. Because we worship the one true God together as husband and wife, and we strengthen one another in our love for the Lord. So Christians then, you young people who are here, Remember and be careful about who you are romantically attracted to and make sure 
that when that time comes in your life that they have that same commitment to and love for God that you do. There's another lesson that I think that we learn here about from Solomon. Solomon is probably, if you were to line up all of the, the great people of the world, Solomon is probably the most gifted man on the faith in, in all of history, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the most gifted of men. Blessed beyond description. And here the thing is we need to learn is that giftedness is not the same as godliness. Giftedness is not the same as godliness. You may have great gifts. You may have a quick and ready mind. God may have blessed you with good looks. He may have blessed you with popularity. He may have blessed you with material things. But giftedness and godliness are two different things. And what you want to be is godly. You want to be true to the Lord God and to him alone. Another lesson, I think, from this passage that we can get is this, that age doesn't guarantee godliness either. <laughs> I was thinking about this. Uh, uh, it says that in, it says in verse 4 when Solomon was old now for those of us past 65 uh, we kind of notice that when that is said when Solomon was old he went after his other um, when he was old his wives turned his heart away from the Lord I think we sometimes assume that the longer one has been alive uh, the more they grow in godliness, the more grace God has given them. But here is a case in which as Solomon grew, his heart grew colder to God. He became self-sufficient and self-reliant and no longer listened to the Lord. In his youth, he loved the Lord. It's said of Solomon in his youth that he loved the Lord. But when his father was gone, and as Solomon aged, he was turned away from the Lord. Now, have you not seen that play out? And those of us who are a little older need to be reminded that we need to pray to God that he will help us to remain true to him to the very end. The longer you live, the more opportunity you have to mess up. The more choices you can make that can be disastrous for your life. And pray, let us pray, that God would give us grace. Not to do as Solomon did. And as we get older, our hearts are drawn away from the Lord. But let it be the other way around. Let it be that we grow in grace and love for the Lord Jesus and, 
that God would have no rival in our heart, and that is the great lesson here. The Lord would have us have no other rival to him in our love for him. The Lord requires us to have an exclusive love. You shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. The Lord loves us and wants us to be faithful to him. John Calvin wrote about this, and he said that the Lord who hath betrothed us to himself in truth declares that he burns with the hottest jealousy whenever neglecting the purity of his holy marriage, we defile ourselves with abominable lusts, and especially when the worship of his deity is transferred to another. Because in that way, we violate our plighted troth. You do know what that means, right? We violate our plighted, our pledged trust. Calvin is making that analogy that the Lord is married to us. He wants us to be faithful to him. Well, secondly, we notice the anger of the Lord. Verse 9, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart turned away from the Lord God of Israel. We're told that uh, uh, he was angry. And anger is that response of the Lord that is a right and necessary response to that which is evil. It is a necessary part of his perfection. If he was not angry, he would not be perfect. And we are told here that God became angry with Solomon. His anger goes against that which is deserving of his anger. By Solomon's wickedness, he brought the Lord's anger upon himself. So the warning here is for us that we do not want to bring God's anger against us. His heart turned away from the Lord. And who was it? How, how, how had God dealt with him? God had appeared to him twice, verse 9b. It was the Lord who had appeared to Solomon twice. And it was the Lord who had warned him about this very thing. Concerning this very thing, in chapter 9, verses 4 through 7, God warned him about turning aside from following him. So the Lord's anger was brought against him. And then we read in verse 11 of the punishment that God would bring upon Solomon. I will tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Now God is going to tear the kingdom from Solomon, but he's going to do it in a certain way. And we're going to learn about that next time. Thirdly, consider the adversaries that the Lord brought. The word adversary in the Hebrew is Satan. And we're told that the Lord brought adversaries he raised up adversaries against Solomon verse 14 verse 14 previously you remember that Solomon had the kingdom at a point of rest and peace in fact he had said to King Hiram in this is in chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 you know that David my father could not build a house because of the warfare which is 
enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is neither adversary or misfortune. So he builds the temple. There is neither adversary or misfortune. Now the Lord raises up adversaries against Solomon, those who would oppose him. The first is Hadad, the Edomite, and a brief biography of, is given of Hadad. It's most interesting, and we're not going to go into it, but if you follow the storyline of Hadad, he goes to Egypt. He is, he is nourished by Pharaoh. He's given a wife by Pharaoh. He's given a child by the wife that the Pharaoh gives him. And very much like Israel, he asked to be released from Pharaoh, and to return to his native land. And it's almost a reflection of the story of Israel. The second adversary is Rezun, the son of Eliada. And we're given also a brief biography of him. And uh, both, in both of this incident, with Hadad the Edomite, what happened here is that God broke away Solomon's dominion over Edom. And it was in Edom that he had his fleet of ships. And so that was... A, a diminishing of Solomon's power. And as far as Rezon, uh, uh, he comes from the Damascus, and he rules from Damascus, and he hated Israel, and he was a thorn in Solomon's side. So all of this, God sovereignly controls the events of their lives, and he raises up these men to be adversaries. And so the Lord... Uh, took away that peace that Israel enjoyed. And they began to have, Lot, Solomon began to lose control. And this is part of the Lord's um, uh, punishment upon Solomon. Did Solomon repent of his sins because of these adversaries? Um, uh, most commentators will say that they believe that Solomon did repent of his sins, and they think that the book of Ecclesiastes gives evidence of it. I certainly would not make a statement one way or the other, but I like to think that he did. But certainly the Lord disciplined Solomon. And so it is with us. In 2 Samuel 7, God said to David about Solomon, I will be to him a father, and he shall be my to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul. So there is a difference between Solomon and Saul. The Lord will not remove his steadfast love from Solomon. The Lord's purpose was to discipline Solomon. And so he does also with you and with me when our hearts stop listening to the Lord. Hebrews 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? When you are sons... My Lord, do not, my, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves 
and he chastises every son he receives. We read in Job, Blessed is the man, blessed is the one whom the Lord reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. I'm quite sure that I'm speaking to people who know what the discipline of the Lord is. I'm quite sure that you know and have experienced the chastisement of the Lord. I know I certainly have. And the Lord treats us as his sons when he disciplines us, and so he did with Solomon. And he is being just as faithful when we experience pain and heartache. He is being faithful in a way that we don't usually consider. He is our Father, and he does what is best for us. He is faithful to chastise us, Though we often, as parents, fail to chastise our children, God does what is best. We don't always experience it that way. It hurts. It hurts. But God is being faithful in love. As great a king as Solomon was, he was not the son of David that would be obedient and resist temptation. Solomon fell. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who would be tempted and remain obedient to his father. As great a kingdom as Solomon's kingdom was, it was not a kingdom that would last. It would become corrupt and it would come under judgment but we are told in scripture and we know the end of this story that the Lord's kingdom is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and he has ushered in through his death and resurrection and ascension a kingdom that will last forever the book of Revelation describes it this way grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him, to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Where is the worship of your heart directed this night? Is it toward the one who is the king of kings? far greater king than Solomon could ever be. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, how we do thank you for the lessons that you teach us. Oh Lord, we are we are idolaters. We are those who are so prone so prone to idolatry. Well, grant that we might love you supremely and only that there would be no rivals in our hearts. Protect us and keep us from the evil one, we pray. And may it be that you would grant us grace this week in the trials and the difficulties that we will face, that we might face them knowing 
of your love that is often experienced through discipline. May we continue to be faithful to you in the midst of it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.